everyone, and welcome to our season two of our podcast, That's Why We Read. We took a short hiatus of a couple of weeks because, well, we teach also, and (laughs) things got a little overwhelming there for a little bit. So we are back, and we are going to be talking about phonics today. I think... um... One of the questions that came, uh, one of our first questions that I think this is a great place to start is what are the best books for teaching phonics? Um, and of course, we have, we always recommend that, you know, you should have a research-based curriculum at your school. If you do not, then that's the first step, right? That's the things that students do every day. But we also have some things by experts and things that we've used in our own classes to enhance our uh, phonics instruction that we want to share um and does anybody want to start should we start with maybe a definition of what oh sure yeah absolutely go ahead oh you want oh yeah you want me to do that (laughs) well i mean i i'll tell you mine after you tell me yours (laughs) well i think you know last week we talked about phonological awareness and phonemic awareness and i think that is a great springboard into what is phonics because with phonological awareness, it's it's the awareness of the sounds in speech, and then phonemic awareness is those individual uh, units of sound and how we um, perceive those sounds and the things that we can do with those sounds auditorily to prepare us for what we need to do, um, what we need to teach and learn in phonics. Which is the system of phoneme-grapheme correspondences, mm-hmm. which is... Sounds that's and letters. I, yeah, that's the one I always use is the phoneme. It's the, it's the rules or the generalizations, as many people like to say, that govern that phoneme graphing um, correspondence. Correspondence, exactly. And or, you know, to the layperson, the letters, <laughs> the groups of letters. So, um, and you know what's funny is I don't know that I always understood that. I, I knew that it had to do with letters, but... Um, when someone explained, it was like, it's the rules. It's not letters. It's the rules that govern when we use certain letters mm-hmm. um, in our words. And so, um, you know, that helped me to kind of clarify. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's more of or more of that <clears throat> side of things. And that's one of the things that Christopher Such says on his chapter about phonics that he says too many too many teachers are ill-equipped to teach phonics precisely because they have not grasped the essential idea that writing represents sounds and that in English the sounds represented are phonemes. Um, he goes on to say that every person who becomes a fluent reader in English has grasped those links between the phonemes of spoken English and the graphemes that represent them, regardless of whether they were explicitly shown those links or whether they deduced them for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the issues, you know, I don't remember learning phonics. I'm I'm specifically, yeah. Fairly certain it was a whole language classroom, but I deduced. <laughs> I deduced. Oh, I do I do know those phoneme graphene mm-hmm. correspondences. Uh and I think we've talked about this reading by analogy, which I know it often is um right now because there's a big push for systematic explicit phonics, which we are also proponents of. But we read often, you know, we'll use analogy like, oh that word looks a lot like I mean, so think about could, should, would. Mm-hmm. Once a child knows one of those words, they can now know all of those words because that you spell them all very similarly, except changing that very first part, um, that onset. So, 
Um, yeah. And that, the Toby, the book that you were just talking about is that one that we spoke about yes. before, The Art and the Science Art of science. Teaching Primary Reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm jealous she's got this book and she started to read it already, but that's a great resource as well. Sorry, I just thought we needed to clarify the definition what before, we, yes, before we get into the, the questions. So I'm sorry. No, no, that's a good, you know what? I often will just jump right in, but I, I, you're right. We need to know what it is that we're actually talking about. So um, so what are some of you all, your favorite books for teaching phonics, things that taught you how to teach it? Um, I used the self-paced phonics mm-hmm. when I was an adjunct at OSU. Um and this is a, an, a, a text that's for educators. That's actually in the title, A Self-Paced Phonics, A Text for Educators. And it's really a thin book. It's mm-hmm. easy to go through. It has work pages. It has answers in the back. So if you're looking for something so that you can learn the generalizations that govern that phoneme graphing mapping, it's a great place to start. My first... Um like explicit instruction in phonics after I became a teacher because when I was in my teacher preparation program we weren't we weren't taught anything about phonics so my first um, exposure to it was when I went through literacy first training Mm -hmm. and we were given in the early early years of literacy first we were given the um, Phonics They Use book by Patricia Cunningham. And so that was my first um, introduction into that. And then once I started teaching, uh, I switched to, or I started using the systematic sequential Phonics They Use um, program. Uh, maybe not a program. It's a, it's a, textbook and it's basically making words lessons it, I, I think the book says it's for k2 I used it with my first graders and I felt like it started at exactly the right point uh, for first grade instruction it starts with very you know simple CVC short a words and um, the thing that I found very quickly it was something we did whole group every day in class and the thing I found Uh, very quickly about it is that it was self-leveling and self-differentiating. My kids who were just working on initial consonant sounds could work on that and Mm -hmm. focus on that as we were making the words and the ones who could do all the words, you know, they, they did it all. So it was, it was a really valuable tool for me to use those last several years that I was in the classroom teaching. And that to piggyback on that, I think that's an author that anything that, it's by Patricia Cunningham is something that you would benefit from as far as um, learning more about phonics and how not just learning more about it, but how to teach it to children. She's really um, a gold standard as far as that um, working with young children in that way in a practical application oriented way. And then um, another author is Wiley Blevins. He does a lot of work with um, phonics and has now gotten into, I noticed this, he's gotten into um, helping with curriculum and things like that. <clears throat> and sometimes I get a little leery when people do that, but um, most everything that I've seen, I'm like, this follows a, a traditional scope and sequence. Um, it's very explicit. It's systematic. Um, it has lots of room for scaffolding and all the good things that you need when you teach that. So those are two authors that I would definitely look for their books um, when teaching phonics. And this 
the ABCs and all their tricks. Oh, that's just one that's good to have on your bookshelf. Um, and we, I found this, what's funny is, is now that the science of reading has become a much more hot topic, this book is around more, but mm-hmm. I found it in like an old um, antique store and I thought, oh, wow. I just was intrigued by the title and it lists everything by sound and it tells you all the rules for when you would use these letters for this sound. And so I can't tell you how many times Ingrid and I have gone, (laughs) okay, now why, when does does it do this? Or um, mostly for words that don't follow very clear Mm -hmm. the typical uh, pattern. So, um, but yeah, the ABCs and all their tricks is a great one to have on the shelf so that if a student ever asks you, you can look up and go, why does it do that? You'll probably find the answer in that book. So that's a great one to have as a resource. The next question we were asked was, how can parents support their child's phonics learning at home? That's a great question Mm -hmm. because as a teacher, you are going to be um, enlisting the help of your students' parents to continue the learning at home. So that's a great question. Well, and that's something that I think a lot of parents, if they, they may, they may be like me and not remember Mm -hmm. what the what rules they of phonics or, or if what you they weren't, did or if you weren't taught to read using phonics um you know the no better do better book talks a lot about the um whole word method which i always heard it referred to as the look say method but basically that was the dick and jane books mm-hmm. and that's what was around when i was learning to read although i swear i really learned to read from watching the electric company and mm-hmm. i know they <laughs> d- they taught explicit phonics i they mean did. you saw the letters going together and pulling apart mm-hmm. and i feel like that's really how i learned to read um but when I started school, we used the Dick and Jane books. Well, and you saying that, Toby, brought something to mind where you're right. The parent may not know the generalization or the rule mm-hmm. at the time. But what I think could be really powerful is I know whenever I was teaching, we sent home a weekly um, newsletter. Mm-hmm. And we would talk about what it is that we were doing in every subject. But what would be really great is if um, you put the rule there that they're learning so that parents then could have that as a reference and maybe give them a few words as an example. Um, And nowadays, you know, you can send those digitally and maybe even link videos that you're using in class right to it so that parents could see and help participate and reinforce that. So what you might just share with them is, hey, this is the phonics generalization we're learning this week. Look for words, play with these types of words. Um, And now you know why they say what they do. I know... um, one of the first ones that I ever taught was the CK at the end of a short vowel word mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a single syllable short vowel. Um, and so my students, whenever they, you know, they'd want to put a C or just a K, you know, and I was like, well, if it's one syllable and it's got a short vowel, it ends in a CK. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you know, because they would be like, how am I supposed to know whether it's a C or a K or a CK? And I'm like, here's how you know. So um, I think they would find that interesting. I, I, when I was thinking about this question, I thought of authentic reading and writing activities. So this doesn't hit on one specific rule of phonics or generalization, um, but it just says, if I was trying to encourage a parent, I would say, have them always doing authentic reading and writing activities. And so one of the ways that I encourage my sister who has young children to do this is have them either read the shopping list or make the shopping list. And Um, talk to them about, you know, if they're not hearing all those phoneme graphing correspondences, make sure that they hear it and then have them um, try to use 
spelling to, you know, put that code back, you know, to encode those words. Um, uh, you know, if they need a to-do list or these are the things you do in the bathroom first, have them create that list. Instead of you creating it on a computer, I know it looks great, but uh, an authentic list might be um, something a better. A chore chart. Right, a chore chart or whatever it is, writing notes or thank yous to their, you know, aunts and uncles or their grandparents or, you know, to a neighbor, trying to just do everyday activities. Anytime you think, okay, what could they be doing to read or write, that would be a great one. And then, yeah. So I'm going to pose a question here because I'm curious to hear your take on it. And I can see both sides of it. So, uh, you know, we've gone through the the whole invented spelling mm -hmm. era, if you will. Um, and there is a school of thought that you should just let students write and they write what they know at that point in time mm -hmm. and then there's another school of thought that says no you must correct it right then so they know that they're making a mistake and this is how we actually do it so where are we <laughs> on that ladies uh, well my rule always was I corrected anything that I knew that they should, I had already taught. Yeah. So for example, if we were spelling the word tiger and they wrote T-I-G-R and I had taught E-R mm -hmm. and that it's usually at the end of words that in, that have the er sound, then I would say, hey, what two letters are at the end of a word that says the er sound most of the time? And they would go E-R mm -hmm. and they would fix it. If they were a first grader or a kindergartner that was spelling that word, I left it alone because there was no, they weren't ready for the ER yet necessarily. So it's wherever I was on my scope and sequence. And I told, I told parents the same thing. I was like, um, you know, if they don't know, let them invent that spelling because um, trying to fix, and parents will quickly realize trying to fix every little thing that they're misspelling is a nightmare and plus it stops the flow of words yes which we want them it's, to have it's defeating to kids to think oh my gosh i can't do any of these right or i don't know how to spell that so i'm not going to write it then mm -hmm. they end up only writing words they know how to spell which can make for not great but i writing yeah i think the one problem that i have seen more just from having nieces and nephews is that parents want to spell the words for kids. Mm -hmm. So a child will say, I don't know how to spell that. Will you spell it for me? And I tell my sisters all the time, I'm like, what do the sounds? Do and I said, what sounds do you hear? And then have them write that. And they're like, well, what if it's wrong? It's fine. Yeah. We're practicing mapping graphemes to phonemes. And that's the practice they need right now. Well, and so. I don't remember who said it. It's in, I, I've seen it in several, several books, but you can't hold kids responsible for something that you haven't taught. Right. So. Well, and most of the time I find that parents and even teachers don't know why that they're supposed to put an ER at the end of that word anyway. So they'll just go, it's just ER. Mm -hmm. Well, I always told my students, I am not the source of all knowledge. So what I'm trying to do when I teach you phonics generalizations is allow you to become the source of knowledge because if you know the generalization, then all I usually have to say is, hey, what sound comes at, what two letters come at the end of this? And they'll go, oh, because they've been exposed to it. Um, but yeah, you can't, you can't go. And most of the time parents are like, I don't know that rule. It's just, this is how you spell it. And you're like, yeah, but that's not teaching them how to be a, 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 
a efficient or self-sufficient speller. Right. Right. So, and always give yourself grace, you know, as long as you're teaching them to map graphemes to phonemes or And what you all can't see Sarah oh, doing yes. <laughs> every time she talks about mapping graphemes fingers. and phonemes, she's finger, finger spelling or it. finger tapping <laughs> and counting out the number of sounds that she can Right. To like describe it if you haven't seen it before. It's like if you're spelling cat, you just tap your um, pointer finger to your thumb. They're all going to your thumb and you're like, ah and you put a finger down each time, then the idea is that you're showing them physically how the, the sounds are separated and then they can code those back in by going and they can write that ah, you know, so that does help them be able to break those sounds up because that's the biggest thing. It's like Toby mentioned, if it's the rules that govern phonemes and graphemes, then that's what we want to practice the most with, with children. Um, and then one of my favorite things is always games. Children, always games. Children love to play games. One of my favorites, um, we'll have linked in the show notes, but it's the roll and write game from Lakeshore. It's $19.99. It's worth every single penny. But as a little cheat, if you go on there, you see the whole game board. So you can just create that game board on a piece of poster board. And it's just word families. And then you roll the dice and the dice have, so it's like onset and rhyme. So the dice have, um, onsets and the rhymes are in little boxes and they roll it and wherever the onset lands you mesh that with the rhyme you blend it with the rhyme and then they come up with that word and so they'll say it so it might be like ch ump and you're like is that a word and it it's great for families because you get to talk about is that a real word and then they have like a little like cheat sheet that you can go and look those words up and see if it's a real word um, and then a lot of times kids, they learn new words and they learn how to chunk and spell them. And it's just, it's worth every single penny. Um, I've had several people take them, steal them, <laughs> whether they, <laughs> they probably didn't have nefarious plans. But it, I think as a parent, if I was playing, that would be a great board game to pull out. And you're just constantly working on sounds and, and graphemes and onset and rhyme over and over again. And that's what children need to, to learn how to read, uh, especially when they're young. Well, I think when we're talking about how parents can support their child's learning at home, you know, COVID didn't help us in a whole lot of ways. <laughs> but one way it did help us is it. Uh, yeah. We now use technology for everything. Absolutely. So teachers can record themselves with instead of sending a newsletter home, which may not come out of the child's. Backpack. backpack or in addition to sending a newsletter home you can do a, a a webcast or whatever where you're explaining and parents can see you and you can send the decodable books home right um one thing that's important though is that even though kids need practice reading the decodables which are the books that the phonics patterns have already been taught right they still need to be read to and mm -hmm. they still need to be they need to talk about that literature and that's something that parents can still do at home is, yeah, is read with their children and that's that's you know no matter what you're like listen you don't you know they should be learning phonics at home or not at home at school so but what we always need parents to do is read to their kids and ask children about the book and share books that they like um that, that parents like and books that they were read Children love that sense of history. Like this is a book that my mom or dad liked when they were young or 
um, you know, I've noticed even with my nephews, um, they'll ask like, can you read that book that you liked? Or can you um, read that book about this subject? You know, I introduce them to different genres. They don't, you know, I, in fact, I was a student commented the other day that they didn't know historical fiction existed until they got to college. And she goes, I wish I would have known. I would have loved historical fiction. And so I was like, oh, wow. You know, so as parents, you can try different genres and, and all kinds of things that can encourage the child to read. And then they'll probably deduce many of the phonics generalizations right. that they need. So anyway, but um, anything else about that? No, let's move on to question number three. What is the best way to teach phonics? Should we say it together? <laughs> Explicitly and systematically. <laughs> you need to have a scope and sequence, and they're all generally the same. You know, some of them are more pointed in their language or or get extremely, they go to into the minutia of it, but most scopes and sequences are going to follow um, the same pattern and you need to teach it to them. When we say explicitly, you need to say, today we are learning about this. You need to give them exact examples, and um, and then you need to work through systematically means working through that scope and sequence, one you know one step at a time. So until it is mastered. until it is mastered. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that's something when you were talking, Toby, about practice earlier, that made me think of something that I was thinking of in conjunction with these questions, which is the biggest thing that I think is a problem for students with phonics is, yes, they need to be taught explicitly and systematically, but one thing we leave out of uh, the conversation a lot of times is kids need a lot of time to practice yes. and play with words. Um, that's why I love games because, you know, with that game that I was talking about where they're using onset and rhymes, they're rolling 50 words that they read in that game and they just think that they're having fun. So, um, you know, they may not sit and chunk 50 words for you sitting at a desk, but they will do it to play a game. So that gets them more practice, and that's really important. Um, and one of the things I said about the best way to teach phonics is using multi-sensory methods. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I saw an example of a teacher, every time she introduced a, a rule, like say she was introducing the generalization or the rule using CK at the end of words, she brought in objects that ended with CK. So she'll bring in a stick and a rock and a duck. And she just puts them out there and she asks the students to um, look for the pattern. Now she doesn't have them spelled out. The students are just looking and they're going, well, that's a rock and that's a sock and that's a stick. And so because they've been taught about sound, they'll go, oh, it's got K at the end of the thing and she'll be like, exactly. So today we're gonna learn about how to spell the k sound at the end of these words. And she even got them to notice that it was a one syllable word and that it had a short, that they were all short vowels. And so the students were doing all of the learning right up front. She wasn't doing it. They were still learning explicitly, but she was pulling them into that conversation. So anytime you can use objects or you can get up and get them to move their bodies, I think that's a great way to make sure that you make phonics engaging as well. Well, and just to reinforce that idea and touching on another question was research on phonics importance. There is strong evidence and tons of research that proves the teaching of phonics in that explicit and systematic fashion where you're clearly introducing and revising the most common sound spelling correspondences in a logical order 
starting with the most common, is beneficial for all students and essential for many. And that's from Christopher Such. Um, he's citing tons of research in that yeah. statement. And I, I agree with the multisensory approach. I mean, think about, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, but I can sing you a song that I remember <laughs> from first grade. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, And there's lots of great phonics songs, yes. too. Speaking of that, like anything you can chant, sing, just make more enjoyable in, in, and involve the body and the senses. And like you said, I'm involving my eyes because I'm seeing it. I'm singing. I'm moving. All those things are great. So it reminds me of, um, I noticed that you were using this with one of the students that you tutor, but the, the lively letters, mm -hmm. you know, we had a student talking to us about the secret stories, which are very popular. And, you know, back, I remember my first or second year training, uh, teaching, I went to visual phonics training mm -hmm. and it all just kind of reinforces that idea that the more senses that are engaged, the more likely you're going to really learn those concepts and retain them. Just one reason why Shirley English is. is what I was just thinking you had said that, you know, it seems like once people learn Shirley English, they never forget mm -hmm. it. So, Well, you saying that brought up, we had a second grade teacher when she would teach, um, she was teaching, students could already decode or controlled vowels, but they didn't know how to spell them. And one of the things that she taught was whatever uh, program she was using, OR was or, or, orbit, and the kids would show how they would orbit something. Oh, and so they would use their hand or they she would have them orbit each other and she would be like, so when they were trying to spell it, they you'd hear them go or, or, orbit, O-R. And so they would write it, you know. Um, one of the things I always used to do with my flashcards was um, how I taught my students the two sounds of O-O. I would be like, if you got hit in the stomach with a book, you would go, ooh. And I said, if you saw a bloody tooth, you'd go, ooh. And so we... That's how they would, I would say, what are the two? And all I would ever have to do is just hit my stomach or t turn my head away like I was looking at something gross and I'd like, oh, uh, ooh, you know. And then we could attach why it said those sounds. I said, you know, you notice that when you hear the uh sound, it ends in a K or, you know, so we would go through mm -hmm. and pull the general, the phonics generalizations as far as spelling from that. So, yeah, all those, anytime you see anything like that, you know, provided in PD or things like that, those are great things to add. It just makes it more fun to teach, too. <laughs> um, talking about that, it, and I know Sarah and I talk about things like this all the time, and I always go back to words their way. There's mm -hmm. so much of what we know about phonics. It's not, even though we use it to identify stages of spelling development, it's not just simply a spelling program or book about spelling, but it's phonics, spelling, vocabulary, uh, it even touches oh, on awesome. phonological awareness, um, doing word sorts for things like Absolutely. that, and then just giving kids words to sort and then figure out on their own what the similarities are. Why are these words spelled this way and pronounced this way? And they can figure out the the commonalities between them and say, oh, okay, so these words that with O-O in the middle and end in K are going to say, say oh. Yeah. Instead of, ooh. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that, um, now that you're saying that, um, that I was thinking of to connect to that was that, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, my God. I was like, what? 
Oh, uh, you were talking about the pillars. Sorry, it came back to me. So whenever the pillars first, when I started first learning about them, I was like, why is there not a spelling pillar? And this shows you how much I didn't understand about phonics because they're like, because phonics is how you spell. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yes. Like I used to think of phonics as one thing and spelling is another thing, but they are the same thing um, because you know how to spell a word if you understand the phonics rules. And I think it's like 97% of the English words follow a pattern. Mm -hmm. We may not know that pattern, but they do follow (laughs) a pattern. Um, And that's why a lot of times you can read many words um, by analogy because you know another word that probably has those parts in it. And it's like your brain is a pattern finder. It will start to like supply those words. A lot of times I know sometimes I would even teach my students, I'm like, just kind of let it all go for a second. (laughs) See if it's just going to like pop in because they, they would, um, you know, we would look at all the word parts, but every once in a while, like when you get to OU or like should, I'm like, but you know, could, and they're like, oh, should, you know, they would just fill that in because they knew another part. Um, And there are rules why those, there are reasons why a lot of those things say what they do, but, um, you know, you can pick them up by analogy, even though I know that's not super popular now. It's it's not, but it reminds me of, I think, Sarah, you have used this in your class as well, the montillation of Traxeline. Mm -hmm. And even though those are all pseudo words, we could figure out what they were, how they're pronounced, because we use analogy and think about like when I first saw Traxeline, the first word I think of is trampoline. Oh, I think gasoline. I think think of trampoline. Well, I'm like, they're montilling in this place. It sounds like they're digging out of the ground. Uh It reminded me of gasoline. But that's so funny that you thought trampoline because I'm like that's how it starts so I'm like okay yeah but I get it there's there's so much of what we can do but you have to already have that prior knowledge you Mm -hmm. have to know something about it so um, analogy only works if you have a basis to to right you have to be able to to compare it to Mm -hmm. something that's what analogy is absolutely and it's not to say that we don't believe in sounding all the word parts out. It's just that, Absolutely. you know, your brain is going to start supplying some of those things because it's starting to well, when see the it pattern. recognizes the patterns and, you know, that's how we can see something that is a word we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And we can decode it and read it almost immediately because we've been exposed to a whole lot of words in print before. Whereas right. a child I always, not. I always use the example with my students. I'm like, how many of you have driven to school and don't remember how you got here. I do here. every day. And I said, your, your brain goes, you don't need to pay attention. We know the pattern. You can now focus on something else. Yes. And that's, that's exactly your brain. Right. Your brain will do that with words many times. Now, again, we don't want to rely on that as teachers, still explicit and systematic, but that's why students will naturally come up with some of those things. And you're like, how did they know that? <laughs> that's how. So do we want to answer one more question? Yeah, let's do one more today. Okay. Um, The next one is, what are some effective strategies as a teacher for teaching phonics to students? My first one out of the gate was making words. Every time. Patricia Cunningham. It's it's one of the most effective, easy, can scaffold it to every student. Um, If you don't have the books, the making words books, buy them, buy them all. Mm -hmm. Um, They will be linked in the show notes as well. The systematic sequential phonics they use that we referenced earlier is a form of making words. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, a very controlled lesson based on a a phonics pattern. Um, But it's, it's the same concept of making words. Which is yeah. so fun. And they even have 
she has books by grade. So mm-hmm. like I had the one for fifth grade when I've tutored younger children. I had the one for first grade or second grade. And what's great is the routines are already there for you. So especially if you're a new teacher or a teacher that's new to this type of instruction, um, that's a great place to start. And you as the teacher will start making a ton of connections when you actually do the making words routines because you're like, oh, and it will affect the way you actually instruct students when you're teaching them to sound out words. You're like, do you see this part? Do you know, like it will influence your instruction, which I loved as well. So Well, and just as an offshoot to that, establishing routines for students, something that they can come to know and expect takes mm-hmm. away some of the pressure They can focus more on the learning at hand than what they're supposed to be doing. So if you've got those routines established and you follow that same routine over and over again, they're not trying to keep up with the rules, so to speak. They're they're able to focus. And if you've ever seen Making Words, they actually list them um, not in order, of course, of the words. So it's like the word, uh, one example that I used a lot was magnets. And so they would come in and it would be all out of order. And my students knew to go to the little box with their letters in it. And they would pull out, you know, an A and an E and a T and an S and an M and an N. And so they would come and then we would make sure that we knew all the sounds. And then I would start the routine. And then they would go and they would file them. And I, when they filed them, it was so cute. I would make them say the sounds as they were putting them back in. So they would practice coming and going and, you know. Um, I learned really quickly. I'm not pulling all those letters out every single time. Too much work. And they need the practice of it was in alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. So those kids who Mm -hmm. needed work on alphabetical order were able to, you know, sing the alphabet song and find it. And they differentiated vowels from consonants. Uh Uh-huh. And that was one thing when you first start is they will talk about, can you find the... Um, can you find the vowels? Well, and the other thing that's great about a lot of your making words letters or that you buy is they're in different colors already. Mm-hmm. So in my set, the consonants were all blue, the vowels were all yellow, and Y was a um, was green oh. <laughs> because you could use it as both. Now mm-hmm. technically, W is also acts like a you know a consonant and a vowel as well, but that's all we needed to know to get started. So, um, but yeah, they would. So what was great is if they didn't know, I'd be like which ones are yellow, you know, and they would push them up. I was like, okay, what do those say? And we could review our vowel sounds and which ones are consonants and practice those. So you can like start from, like you said, if I have a child that's a struggling reader and they don't know even their sounds, we can, we can do it right there. there. Mm -hmm. And if you do it on an overhead or Look at me talking like overhead, but like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? A like smart um, board, Promethean board. Yes, smart you can TV. actually pull them down, and students can see it. So, say you have a, a student who's an English language learner. Maybe they, the bulk of their work went into vowels, consonants, and sounds, but mm-hmm. then they can still see how they're dragging and participate as well. So, um, yeah, it's just it's one of the best strategies that I've one ever of, seen. One of my fondest teaching memories is about making words and I have to give a shout out to one of my former students who will probably never hear this. I lost track of her. I have no idea where she is in the world right now, but about 20 years ago, (laughs) she was in my first grade class and her name is Paige Shaw. And every morning she would walk through the door she would turn to the pocket chart and look <laughs> at my making words letters that I had uh, in the pocket chart. And she'd stand there and look at it and she'd 
kind of put her hand on her hip and tilt her head to the side a little bit and she'd take in all the letters and then she'd look at me and she'd say, I know it. <laughs> and she would have the the mystery word or the secret word figured mm-hmm. out as soon as she walked in the door. And it was just, that's it made so my fun. heart very happy. <laughs> and that's too, it, it does. The big word, they don't know, like the example I use with magnets, they don't know it's magnets until the end. And that's another thing that really kept them engaged. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know what that word was. Which goes into, it's also a great vocabulary mm-hmm. strategy because the, the little words that you make along the way, are they real words? Are they nonsense words mm-hmm. and you're building up to that big word or secret word so you're you learning can, something brand new yeah once you put it together then you can talk about syllables how many mm-hmm. syllables are in this word how do we know oh there's two vowels like i mean again on. it is one of those ingenious things that you're like guys if you're not doing them you're you're missing out you need to go and buy yourself a making words book right and now. because we did making words every morning as a whole class activity mm-hmm a lot of times that would be one of my center rotations and the mystery word might be um, you know something we were learning about or reading about that week and so at their center then they could practice making words with that and you know but then we'd have this little um, contest going on and you know I would I would make words throughout the week and keep track of them and my students would come up and they say I found 12 words Miss Massey how many have you found and you know so it was a little contest by the end of the week we'd see who came up with the most words yeah and I was always surprised I would see my kids doing make that version of it where they would do two and three and four letter words mm-hmm. they would divide their own paper yep. and they would come up and they would do it during recess and they'd be like, I met found five more words or and I would have them highlight the words that were real and mm-hmm. you know so they knew the real from the pseudo and Again, just a fantastic strategy. Um, So um, one thing that I put on there was whiteboards. And the reason I say that is don't underestimate a whiteboard and a dry erase marker. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what I did, going back to that phoneme graphing mapping, is I would tell them how many chunks were in a word. um, And and I use the word chunks. But like say the word is like um, splat. Then I would tell them there are, um, for my younger ones, and I wanted to hear all the sounds, I would tell them that there are one, two, three, four, five, five letters, and they would make five little um, dashes, and then we would fingerspell the word, and then they would write it, and then I would have them turn it around super fast, and I, I would hold mine up, and they would match. And I, at first, when I came up with this, I was like, I, I was just trying to think of something to get them to write the words. But they loved it. They would be like, it's right. <laughs> they would get excited, and they'd erase it. And then I'd be like, how many they're like how many letters and they would write the you know the little dashes and they would spell it and so once they got older i would do it by syllable um you know and it would be like magnetic and so i would be like you have three syllables in this word and we'd break it up and we'd circle the vowel and i just don't think kids get enough time practicing writing words and reading words and so don't underestimate a little you know win lose or draw with your whiteboard Mm -hmm. um that's a great one that all my students always loved And then I also put, um, we'll link this here, but there were these, I found them at Mardell, um, which is a teaching store here in in Tulsa, but you can get them on Amazon blends and word family centers. And they're like pocket charts that have the word families on them or the blends on them. And then there are little um, picture cards that are like super hard cardboard. So they'll have like a picture of, you know, say it was like 
um, oh goodness, of course I'm thinking, it's like stump. So they would find the ST blend and they would turn it over and the blend was in one color and the rest of the word was in another color. So they'd go, I always made them start with word side up and they would have to hold it up and they'd go st ump, stump, and they'd flip it over and look at the picture. And that was their reward was to look at the picture. And then they would have to <laughs> say the blend st, 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 until they found it and they would file it. families is um, if there were special sounds like ing, I would put a star, like a little star sticker on it. And I would be like, oh, that's the one that we can't like typically decode. We just have to know that that's a chunk. And so, um, you know, they would, I would always go, oh, there's two vowels there. What is that word? You know, oh, ale, you know. And so it was just, they loved it. They thought that that was great. So those pocket charts um, became a I thought I was like, I was just trying to fill room because when I became a reading specialist, I didn't have a lot to decorate with. So I thought I was just filling space and that ended up becoming the number one center where every kid wanted to go. So, and I even right. used it at my little small table. I would give them all 10 words and they would just chunk, chunk, chunk and go file and they loved it. So Love another it. one. So what are some effective strategies that y'all used in addition to well making words and those I'm, things? I just love the use of um, anything that is tactile and you can manipulate. So magnetic letters mm, on, yeah. you know, I don't even know if you can buy these anymore, but we would put our letters on the little um, uh, stovetop burner covers, you oh, know, the little round yeah. aluminum or whatever. You can buy them at the dollar store, actually. Oh, you can? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, it's the same idea as a cookie sheet or you know, anything like that, but we would get the little four pack of those burner covers and you just put however many letters, you know, you needed to have the magnetic letters yeah. and just, you know, the moving the letters in and out back and forth constantly, that repetition just helps, you know, create those pathways and, and maps it orthographically, but it also maps those. Um, uh, yeah. Trying to get to that. What do they call uh, the Is guy the, from the, France that the, talks about those words. Lost yes. He the always talks about the word box. Yeah, the word the box, box in the back of your brain. So it's just, you know, doing it over and over and over again and moving it in and out and changing that, you know, showing how we can change the first letter and create mm -hmm. a brand new word, which takes us again back to phonological awareness and the importance of students being able to do that auditorily what, if, what happens if we take away the but and bat, we have at. And what if we replace that with mm, then we have mat. So mm -hmm. doing that auditorily prepares them for, now we're going to do it with actual letters and we're going to change um, just the onset and create a whole bunch of new words. Yeah, I forgot about it. Magnetic letters are, yeah, those are a staple. Mm -hmm. They love working with those. So, and it's like you said, it's really good for their um, their mapping skills. So. Ladies, do you have anything else for today's part on phonics? We're going to do part two next week. Yeah, I think um, next week we'll talk about like English language learners and some of those uh, important questions that we have. And and um, I think that that will be a great place to leave um, listeners knowing that, you know, um, we, we kind of talked about the basics today, but we'll get into, okay, what do you do when a child is still struggling, if you've done all those ideas, or if they speak a different language, those types of things. So we'll go a little bit deeper next time. 
And we'll see you next week on That's, That's Why, Why We Read. read.